Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Second half of the baseball season is underway. The trade deadline is right around the corner, and BetOnline is the place to stop for all of the baseball action the remainder of July. Head to their website or use your mobile device today to sign up. Use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is July 26th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in. However, And whenever it is, you may be listening. This is episode 993 here on the Take It Easy podcast. We are inching ever so close to that 1,000 podcast mark. I think we're going to hit it on Thursday next week, if, if my math is correct. Thursday next week will be the 1,000th podcast here on the Take It Easy podcast. I'm very, very excited for that and very, very excited for all of you to get to enjoy that. It's all repetitions, baby. We are we are learning how to do this skill so we can then translate it to a job in the future. I uh, started this pod, as I've said many times, I started this podcast after graduating high school and I now graduated college and we're still doing it every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. So welcome in everybody. I hope you all are having a fantabulous Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or whatever day it is when you happen to be listening to this here fine podcast. Tomorrow is the final episode of the Fall of the Spurs Dynasty. I've spent like five hours today editing clips and putting music in. I'm so excited for that to wrap up. I've been blown away by the support. We were a top 100 basketball podcast in the United States. I think the highest we got was like 78. It wasn't quite enough to crack the top 300 in all of podcasts, but we had the 78th largest podcast in all of basketball, and it was awesome, and you guys have blown me away with the support, and the support from Pounding the Rock and the Spurs community has been fantastic. So thank you to everyone who has partaken in that. It is much, much appreciated, and I'm really excited to share the final episode of the Fall of the Spurs Dynasty with all of you on Wednesday. It has its own feed. It's available here on the Take It Easy podcast feed. Okay, with that being said, 
let us get to today's show, and today's show will be all about the basketball news that dropped in today. Is part of that because we don't have a guest today? Yes. Is part of that because it's July? Yes. And is part of that because I'm working on a longer form conversation to use as a different podcast? Yes. But let's talk about Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving here on the Take It Easy podcast. And with that, we are going to use our wonderful, wonderful last dance intro music that took me 10 minutes to edit together from a longer form hour Well, it took me an hour to build a 60-second joke about the Packers that I then made very poorly into uh, being used for the Brooklyn Nets. Let's play our Last Dance theme song so we can talk about NBA transaction windows. Kyrie Irving is so disgruntled with the Brooklyn Nets. That he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. And so we have a standoff here that nobody knows exactly where it's going. He is not making this about money. He wants out of there and he's telling you there is no amount of money. We want him back in the worst way. I know he knows that. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to work at it. The situation between the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant is not good as far as this weekend as far as training camp we will see there's been one message consistently coming out of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant there's camp and and that's I don't want to be here all right we have reached the stage of the summer where everyone is expanding their trade candidates baby for people who may or may not know This is how these cycles usually work when you have NBA stars requesting trades, which is the initial set of teams get their offers. The initial set of teams can't match the offer of the other of the the rest of the league because like, okay, Donovan Mitchell wants to go to the Knicks. Well, other teams have better packages to offer than the Knicks. And Utah has no reason to not send Donovan Mitchell where they want other than Donovan Mitchell not reporting. So not every team is in the mix. But they're going to have to expand the list larger than one team. Or in the case of Kevin Durant, you're going to have to expand your list farther than two or three teams in order to facilitate a trade. Because it's a a touch and go. It's like Kevin Durant wants to go to Phoenix and Miami and maybe Toronto. But other teams have better trade packages. So Kevin Durant has to expand his list to a team that possibly has a better trade package or else Brooklyn and him are going to be at an impasse. And both of these trades, actually, the Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell trades have been at impasses for like a month where the teams that want Donovan Mitchell and the teams that want Kevin Durant. So basically think of it like a Venn diagram. It's like teams that Kevin Durant wants to play for and teams that the Brooklyn Nets want to trade Kevin Durant to. In the center of that is Phoenix and Miami, but both sides have to compromise further and be like, okay, now we got to include Toronto. Now we got to include uh, Golden State. I'm just saying a team now. Let's say we got to include Memphis. I'm not saying Kevin Durant wants to go to Memphis, but we just got to include someone who's got a better trade package because we are not giving up you for like the seventh best offer. We might give you up for the fourth best offer, but we're not giving you up for the the seventh best offer. And you, 
want to go to these teams and you're like, okay, I guess Miami and Phoenix are out. Let's try, you know, another team. Okay. We got to break the impasse somehow. And for a month, there's been an impasse on Donovan Mitchell and an impasse on Kevin Durant. And within something like six hours of each other, we got to break the impasse as both sides begin to expand their trade candidates. So in the case of Kevin Durant, we have the Woj report that the Boston Celtics have engaged Brooklyn in a trade. They offered Jalen Brown and Derek White and some draft picks. The Nets wanted uh, the Nets declined basically and said we'd have to have Marcus Smart in a trade and also all the draft picks. But we know that Boston tried to trade for Kevin Durant and they're like actively engaging in Durant, which is something that we didn't know before. Boston was like, we're going to run it back with uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, even though like six months ago, everyone was like, break up Tatum and Brown. No, we're going to break up. We're going to break up Tatum and Brown only if it means getting Kevin Durant, which by the way, is the thing I was yelling at back in December, mostly to our friend Juju Talk Sports, because he was like, I'm going to break up Tatum and Brown. I'm like, no, you do not. You only break up Tatum and Brown if you get a player better than Tatum and Brown in return. You don't sell low on Jalen Brown. Why? Because Brown and Tatum, with the rest of that team, with with all-star Robert Williams, who's going to make an all-star next year, and a bunch of, like, fringe pieces, a couple good things break your way, you make it to the NBA Finals. And if not, you're a second-round exit. You don't go back down to being the seven seed by getting like John Collins and whatever else. But basically Boston's trying to upgrade from Jalen Brown to Kevin Durant. Pretty good move. In fact, Boston might be like the team best position, not named the Warriors to make that move happen. The other side of things is that uh, Shams reported that the Heat, the Raptors, the Hornets, the Kings, the Hawks, the Wizards, like just a whole shitload of teams were trying to go after Donovan Mitchell as well, which is like, of course it's going to happen. Donovan Mitchell just has less leverage than Kevin Durant, and he's closer to free agency, so his, his value is going to be a little bit lower. But Donovan Mitchell's kind of just like a conundrum the same way as Kevin Durant. I thought it was funny that both of them got their news broken like within six hours of each other of like, here's the now expanded field of trade candidates for Donovan Mitchell because, yeah, the Knicks have a pretty good deal. But if the Raptors are going to throw Scotty Barnes in a trade, which I'm not saying they're going to trade Scotty Barnes, but like... If they throw Scotty Barnes in a trade for Donovan Mitchell, well, yeah, the Knicks can go pound sand. The Knicks' best offer was like a a bunch of like fringe level starters and like five draft picks or four draft picks. Like, yeah, the Knicks can go pound sand. We'll go get freaking Scotty Barnes in a draft pick or we'll go get, I don't know, like what would be the Hornets' best offer? I'm just kind of thinking of this off the top of my head. I guess it would be like PJ Washington. And they get Gordon Hayward back. (laughs) Actually, I kind of like this now. They get Gordon Hayward back to match the money. And they they trade PJ Washington and... I don't know, let's say Terry, no, not Terry Rozier. Uh, Let's say Book Knight, maybe. Would that work? Uh, They got to get rid of one player. Who else can go out the door? Let's say like uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker goes out the door. Does that work? Yeah, okay, so there you go. It's like Gordon Hayward, PJ Washington, James Book Knight, and like three draft picks would be the Hornets trade. Okay, you know what? That's not terrible. Okay, so the Hornets sidetracked there. Got a little sidetracked, but Hornets are in a trade. Uh, Toronto is now trying to get a trade. The Kings are possibly throwing De'Aaron Fox in the mix, which, okay, Sacramento. I'm here in Sacramento. I work at the radio station in Sacramento. I'm like, okay, (laughs) if you want to do Donovan Mitchell for like De'Aaron Fox and three draft picks, 
okay, go ahead and do that. See what's going to happen with Donovan Mitchell and Sabonis. It's just a discount version of what Utah's been for the last five years. But I don't know. Sacramento might be in the same case as, um, as, as Minnesota, where Danny Ainge knows he can swindle their asses into a trade. Like maybe that's where Danny Ainge is looking right now. Cause he's like, who are the dumbest organizations we can trade with the Hornets and the Kings and the wizards. That seems like teams that we could steal from tell Donovan Mitchell to pound sand wherever he goes. <laughs> They're like, yeah, who are the dumbest teams and who are the teams with the best value? That's, that's what Danny Ainge's logic is there. But now we have the expanded trade partners. I actually don't know who Donovan Mitchell wants to play for. There hasn't really been great reporting around that and this might just be Utah like making the move and Mitchell's like I mean there's a couple teams on the no-no list but like other than that maybe I don't have that many teams that I wouldn't want to play for and for Donovan Mitchell it's only like two years of playing with that team but I don't know. I don't think he has the same level of leverage. So I, I, I know he li- he lived in New York for a while. I know he's like homies with Jimmy Butler. So like the Knicks and the Heat are the two everyone connects to. But I actually don't know who Donovan Mitchell does or doesn't want to play for. But uh, I thought that was funny as well. That, but now we've reached the part where where both sides have to compromise a little bit. It's like, okay, we won't just trade you nowhere and we won't bring you into camp. I mean, this is the Kevin Durant case. I'm sure Utah doesn't want to bring Donovan Mitchell into camp, but let's say that they're looking around and they're saying, okay, we we don't want to bring you into camp. Okay, cool. Uh, You're Kevin Durant, you're Donovan Mitchell, but we can't get you to the team exactly you want to go to. So if we expand the trade candidates a little bit and we we just field offers from everyone else, we, we get everyone else's offer, would you be okay going to one of these teams? And maybe this, I mean, I'm doing the Spurs documentary, but maybe this ends up being like the Kawhi Leonard situation where Toronto says, we don't care if he leaves in free agency, we'll take the one year. Like maybe another team is like, we will bet on Donovan Mitchell is not going to hold out and it's only going to be for two years. Maybe someone takes the bait on that one, like Sacramento and gets Donovan Mitchell, but In reality, I think I'm looking at it more of like, we're going to expand the candidates, we're going to see who's got the best offer, and anyone who meets that offer, do you want to play for them? That's basically the compromise that they're at right now, because they're not going to send Durant anywhere he doesn't want to go. They're not going to send, I mean, they could, but they're not going to probably send Donovan Mitchell somewhere he desperately doesn't want to go. Where Donovan Mitchell has less power than Kevin Durant is, Donovan Mitchell has more leeway of the teams that he's more neutral about he can't control getting traded there in that like when uh, Paul George got traded to Oklahoma City Paul George was neutral about going to Oklahoma City Paul George is not the same level of star as Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant so Paul George is like I'm gonna go up to the airport and and high five all the fans because I don't really have the same level of leverage there like Donovan Mitchell's kind of in that place where he's like okay I the the neutral team's Maybe that's the Hawks, maybe it's the Wizards, maybe it's the Raptors. I don't know who who we're talking about here, but the neutral teams are like, okay, I guess I'm okay going to Sacramento. I'm okay going to Toronto. I'm okay going to Charlotte instead of like, I really, really want to go to the Knicks. And I don't even know if Donovan Mitchell really, really wants to go to the Knicks or not. I just, I just know he's from New York and the Knicks get thrown around in trades a lot for him. So, you know, it's just, it's now expanding to the rest of the league and giving them a chance to make that move it's going to take probably longer than that I thought the Durant trade I said originally the Durant trade wouldn't happen for two weeks 
and now it's kind of gone on longer than I thought, and I'm like, okay, this this makes sense. This follows the script a little bit. It'll better inform my decision-making around stars moving around next time. Same thing with Donovan Mitchell. Is just Utah hasn't had their price met. They're going to be way more picky about him than they are about Rudy Gobert. They haven't had their price met. They're expanding the trade candidates. It's going to take longer to facilitate a deal, and it's going to take one of those you know, six to seven teams in the Durant and Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes who can actually afford the price tag. It's going to take them talking themselves into a trade. I mean, the reason Boston's only coming up now is that for the first three weeks, they were like, we're standing pat. We're going to be fine. And now they're like, oh, we'll, we'll do Jalen Brown and Derek White and draft picks. And, and they're just seeing what they can get away with. Now, it sucks for them that it got leaked out into the media because Jalen Brown is uh, SMHing the uh, he, he's SMHing the uh, Boston Celtics right now for all of that. And it's a weird situation where Jalen Brown is probably still going to be a Boston Celtic at the end of this. Now, this might not age well because he might get traded by the time this podcast is out. Jalen Brown is probably going to be a Boston Celtic by the end of all of this. Again, it's a probabilities game. We're just learning about the Celtics getting involved in a trade. Their odds haven't improved significantly to acquire Durant. There's plenty of reasons why Kevin Durant doesn't want to go play for Boston, which is the the same obnoxious reasons that everyone doesn't like Boston. It's the same reasons people don't like Notre Dame, and it's the reasons people don't like Boston. Long expounded upon no need to div- dive further like dozens and dozens of years and multiple generations of experience star players especially black star players don't want to play in boston so from the and jason tatum plays in boston jason tatum had to go play in boston uh so this is the point where jalen brown is probably going to be a celtic at the end of all of this and all it changes is the the hard feelings that come out of it and jalen brown will probably remain a boston celtic because if this proves to be like uh, remember when the, the Cavs tried to shop Kyrie Irving and Kyrie was like, oh, you're going to look at options to get rid of me? I want to leave and I don't want LeBron to leave me. So I'm going to leave LeBron first. If it turns into a situation like that where Jalen Brown is willing to make it ugly, it would be a major 180 on that situation because Jalen Brown is like, we are all in, run it back. And it only took one news report to flip the script on that. That would be like genuinely shocking. And... I don't think that's going to happen. Therefore, if he's not, if this isn't such an infringement that Jalen Brown wants to desperately leave the Celtics now, which should not be at all. I mean, maybe it will be, but you know, if if a news report that you were included in a Kevin Durant trade talk is enough for you to be like, I don't want to play in Boston anymore. Again, I would be improbable. That's why I said at the beginning, it's probable that Jalen Brown is going to be a Celtic at the end of all of this. And so it's just unfortunate that that gets leaked out because it's one, you only get so many strikes in this respect because I'm sure it's viewed as a disrespect to Jalen Brown. Front offices view people as assets. And one of the problems with how the last 20 years of analytics has changed is that players more than ever are viewed as numbers on a stat sheet. And so you lose the human element to the relationships around it. And so one of the things that's going to break down there is Jalen Brown is going to be viewed as a, as a numbers on stat sheets and traded for Kevin Durant, but not traded if it's John Collins and 
all of the value there that happened behind the scenes before. It just wasn't getting reported as much and it wasn't so numbers driven where you actually feel like your production is your value. It, it used to be less numbers driven and therefore you could talk yourself into elements of personality and charisma and the intangibles and things like that. Now that there's so much data available, it, it, it's easier to rely on the data way more than intangibles. And in fact, I'd argue intangibles are just ways for people to talk themselves into anything. If they can't be calculated, it's just people talking themselves into whatever their intangible might be. And so because this is more scientific than ever before, the people are, are less viewed as uh, people sometimes, as long as you're not careful, as long as you don't, as if you aren't careful about the relationship side of things, that can be the case. And so Jalen Brown possibly views this as a disrespect, and you only get so many disrespects before it's like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, this is just kind of like a, a strike on the Celtics chart of like, oh, I'm not so angry that I want to leave, but like the disrespect is felt. You only get like so many strikes on the on the disrespect chart before it's like, that's enough aggressions where I just, I don't want to do this anymore. Like someone else will treat me a little bit better. At the very least, someone else will get a chance to reset the clock on the disrespects. So it just stinks that Boston had to use one of those strikes for, a disrespect and it sucks that Jalen Brown has to go through that because again this is just something that happens behind the scenes all the time it just now is a national news story in the middle of July where Jalen Brown is SMHing the Boston Celtics and if we literally want to take SMH stop my headache if you want the headache to go away you can only take so many headache moments before the headache is permanent and you can't concentrate anymore so just stinks that the Celtics had to use one of those X's for a trade that's probably, and probably is, again, statistics, we're talking about the statistics of this trade happening in doing predictions, probably not going to happen. And yet the Celtics had to use one of those X's on seeing what they could get for Kevin Durant and having it get leaked out, and they, again, probably won't end up with Kevin Durant in the end of all of this. <laughs> All right, so uh, I guess we kind of have like two A blocks. There's not really an A block, B block today, but we'll call this our main story of the day since the other one is just reacting to like NBA rumors. Our main story of the day concern. Oh, and doing John Oliver now. Our main story of the day concerns fans. You know, not the ones in your house because, you know, it's 120 degrees outside, but fans at sporting events and live concerts, and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, I don't know if you saw the video this weekend. I thought it was super interesting. At Rolling Loud in Miami, Kid Cudi walked off the stage because he got, like, a bunch of shit thrown at him. It was a couple of bottles, and uh, I, I don't know what the other thing was, but he got, like, three things thrown at him, and he was yelling on the stage, like, I'm not, like, stop throwing stuff. I will walk off the stage. And then someone threw a bottle that missed him, and then he walked off the stage, uh, he still get paid for the event. He just walked off the stage in protest of people throwing bottles at him. And so 
this is uh, uh if this were a sporting event we do the stereotypical conversation of are fans allowed to do this or that and i'm not going to do the stereotypical conversation of like what is within a fan's right to do during a game like do fans have should fans be behaving this way and how do we control fan behavior and all kinds of stuff like and then this will develop into a malice at the palace conversation like it's happened a hundred of time hundreds of times on every sports radio station and so I wanted to just take it a little bit deeper in talking about that uh, that sports fan behavior conversation because we have it all the time whenever someone throws something on the court or whenever fans cheer Kevin Durant tearing his Achilles. We have the conversation about fan behavior. Someone throwing popcorn at Russell Westbrook or when Connor McGregor breaks someone's phone or whatever else it is. We have this conversation about fan behavior and the admonishing the bad fans, which, by the way, totally fair. Totally fair to admonish the bad behavior. It's just not going to change the bad behavior. But this was a whole thing. By the way, this is just another side note. I know I said it wasn't going to be Malice at the Palace. If you go back and watch the original post-game video of the Malice at the Palace, Stephen A. Smith is on ESPN, and he was like, yeah, the players were totally in their rights to beat the shit out of those fans. And then David Stern got involved with his league partner over at ESPN and was like, this is, we're not doing this. This is the player's fault. We are scapegoating the players, wrongfully scapegoating the players, and threatening possible jail time between them. Like, this is, we're going to ban run our tests for a year. We're going to do, like, the harshest suspensions ever because it was a national TV fight and... We are putting our foot down once and for all that we are not we're, we're punishing the black players instead of the white customers. We are we are prioritizing the bottom line and the dollars and the easiest way to do it is to punish the black players. It's why Calvin Ridley got a one year suspension for gambling. And that's my side note about the malice of the palace. What I wanted to talk about for and by the way, same kind of thing again, because we don't know that it was white people. We can infer it was some white people that were throwing bottles at Kid Cudi. But again, let's. that was my side note about the, uh, the malice at the palace. Stephen A. Smith is like, yes, admonish the bad behavior of the fan. And I'm like, that is true. It's also not the most important thing that comes out of this. I like it more of a social science and a psychology point of view. But let's talk about fan behavior and the changing landscape of sports and it's again this is surrounding live music and live concerts and then it's going to extend further into um from not just live concerts i want to extend it to sports and just live entertainment as a whole call it concerts music festivals sports anything that's considered live entertainment um especially in industries that are now billions and billions of dollars so they're increasingly becoming more expensive and so they're starting to attract different audiences than ever before and it's not so different that it's like the audiences are night and day different it's just little changes year over year in the income levels of the people who are attending these events and I know I made the joke about sounding like John Oliver earlier. There's a really good John Oliver episode about tickets and Ticketmaster and how Ticketmaster controls the entire like concert-going industry like a monopoly. And so, therefore, they can dictate prices. And sometimes that leads to price gouging. And price gouging exists all over the place. Like Justin Bieber, the, in the John Oliver piece, they're talking about Justin Bieber price gouging people and a bunch of stuff. Again, the, the the story's really good. Just Google John Oliver tickets. 
it has some background information on this that I'm going to recap in about a minute, but he does 25 minutes on it. That's much more intellectual than that. But basically what's talking about is like these concerts and these live events and, and sports are in such high demand that the prices end up being exorbitantly large price, like exorbitantly large, especially for events that a lot of people want to go to. And that's just a basic economic principle. But what's changing is that the audiences have grown to be so large yet the venues and arenas are the same sizes. And so demand for these events has gone way, way up, but the size of the venues have not changed. Basketball stadiums are still 20,000 people. Concert venues are still 15,000 to 50,000 people, depending on the artist. Music festivals still have fixed amounts. They sell out tickets. Um, So you're seeing that these festivals have much larger prices because more people want to go and there isn't a fast enough expansion to match what people are willing to pay for it. What's also changing is that just in America as a whole, the income disparity between the wealthy and the middle class and what would be deemed as poor, I'm going to say lower class for the sake of this conversation, is growing in a way that has not existed before. Income inequality in America is at its worst levels in 40 50 years like this it is continuously growing to a way where if you i mean they they talked about this like median rent now is like two thousand dollars across the country which is the first time since like 2000s something that it's reached a level where um it's as a certain percentage of the median income the median rent level is like 30 something percent and it's Basically, economists say you should have rent sitting at about 30% in order to have a livable, comfortable situation. Your rent should be about 30% of your income for you to be comfortable in your finances. And what sucks now is that they're changing the math on that because like every major city, the average is impossible to live at 30% rent. But basically, income inequality is growing in such a way that more money is concentrated in the top 20%, and even as a subset of that, more wealth is concentrated in the top 1% and 0.01% and 0.001% than has been in most of American history. And what's happening is, uh, you've probably heard the phrase shrinking middle class before. And so what's happening is the middle class is now becoming closer to the lower class than it is to the upper class. And what people would call upper middle class is now what would traditionally be wealthy, that's how the income gap is growing. People who are in the top 20% are closer to what the top 10% used to be. People who are in the bottom uh, three quintiles, I don't know why economists use quintiles, but basically people from 40% to 99% of, or from the percentile, the 40th percentile to the 90th percentile are on average making less of a percentage of wealth than ever before. So income inequality growing at substantial rates. So what's interesting about that with live sporting events is that sports and music and anything that's considered a live event is moving towards where the money is, and the money is moving towards people who can afford your tickets because the demand is so high. What they used to do in the past is take losses on ticket sales so that people who make less money could afford the tickets. And this is going away in the 21st century economy. It is, 
we are going to appeal to the people who have the most money more than we used to. We're not going to go all the way with it, but occasionally we are going to go all the way with it. Like NBA Finals tickets for the Boston Celtics and Golden State Warriors Game 5, the cheapest tickets were $800. If, let's say that an average baseball game is worth $50 and you are you are making $50,000 a year for the sake of simple math, that means that someone, if someone's willing to pay $50 to go to one baseball game while making $50,000 a year, that means someone who's willing to pay $800 for finals tickets by that same math would be making $800,000 a year. Again, it's not perfect math, but I'm just saying that the, the demand for a regular baseball game and demand for the finals is not the same, so maybe you're willing to spend more money. But we're talking about somewhere between half a million dollars a year and $800,000 a year. There's only so many people who are going to be able to afford those tickets. And so this is, and that exists for the NBA Finals, it exists for the Super Bowl, ones that have gigantic demand, that is the case. Now we're talking about events that have even less demand, you're seeing tons of people wanting to pay for these events. And so what's interesting about that is that you're trying, you're starting to attract different audiences than before. Advertising works the same way. There's a reason you're seeing less Miller Lite or Bud Light commercials on broadcasts and more for like top not top but like more for vodka brands and like alcohol that costs like $40 a bottle you're starting to see more advertisements for that on broadcasts than you are for Bud Light which is like what a $12 I don't know I don't I don't buy I don't drink beer but like I'm guessing it's like $16 for a 12 pack or something like that or $12 for a 12 I don't know exactly what beer's worth like a dollar a can or a dollar 50 a can like that's the difference pricing that you're seeing in advertising as well and so if you have people throwing bottles and spitting on people remember when Trey Young got spat on during the playoffs and you had people throwing popcorn at Westbrook and throwing a bottle at Kyrie and uh, you know there, there's other city I mean Westbrook slapping a phone Rodney Hood getting dumped on Isaiah Thomas going into the crowd because someone yelled a racial slur at him like if you have this type of behavior you're not going to get the product because these products are becoming more of a privilege than ever before. And that's something that's changing around the fan behavior is that Kid Cudi can walk off the stage, still get paid, and people don't get to go to the concert, but you don't get refunded your dollars. So all of a sudden, concert going is more of a privilege than ever before. Going to a sporting event is more of a privilege than ever before. Remember when Trey Young got spat on someone in that playoff game? Uh, it was a uh, game five in New York, the one where he like waves to the crowd or does the bow. Like the average ticket price for that game was two hundred and forty dollars for like second deck seats. Like those tickets in those places are more of a privilege than ever before, and so because of that, your behavior has to be on a higher level because if you misbehave that ticket's going to go right to someone else. Like, these things are more and more privileged than they've ever been before. And maybe people with privilege are more likely to act out with poor behavior, but what changes is the expectation of what your behavior is going to be. I'm not saying that people who are privileged don't do, like, shitty, don't spit on people and don't throw bottles at people. Like, privileged people do that shit all the time. What changes is 
the expectation of what's allowed. What's allowed at the stadium changes. What's allowed at the concert venue changes. What's allowed at Rolling Loud changes. Fighting in the stands always would get you kicked out of a game. Fighting in the stands now gets you banned for life. The expectation is changing because the privileged are getting to attend these events more and more. And if this one person acts up, you're messing up the dollars for everyone. So the expectation changes. When you spit on Trey Young, when you throw bottles at Russell Westbrook, when you throw bottles at Kid Cudi, the expectation has changed. And that's because the, I, I believe, or at least the conclusion I'm drawing here is in part, not entirely, in part because privileged people are now, economically privileged people, are the ones who are now able to attend these events. The other thing that's changing about this is if bad behavior continues, those tickets are even going to go away from those people. Because for major playoff games and major sporting events, 50% of tickets now go to corporate seating. Basketball games, this is especially the case where you can only fit 20,000 people. In football, it exists not to the levels of 50% for like even playoff games in like Kansas City or Buffalo or whatever it is. In the NFL for the Super Bowl, 50 plus percent of tickets go to corporate sponsors. It's why the ticket prices always look so exorbitant for the Super Bowl is because those tickets aren't available on the open market. Like those, you cannot buy those tickets on the open market. It's only on third party sellers. There's maybe 20,000 tickets that come available on the open market. And even those ones are starting to disappear because it's about who you know. And the, the NFL wants to sell those tickets to corporations because corporations will pay more money. Why? Because corporations have the most money. They have more money than the individual consumer because for even people who have $800,000 a year to spend on Warriors finals tickets, most of their money is coming from a corporation in the first place. I'm not saying everyone. I'm saying more likely than not. Your money is coming from the corporation that pays your salary or that you are a, um, a part owner of or a manager or a CEO of. That's where that money is coming from. And so as money buys us the right, I mean, it used to be that money bought people the right to be rowdy. I remember when I was in like middle school, they were like, this isn't a sporting event. You need to be uh, nice in the theater. It's like, well, you could be nice at a sporting event too. Like sporting events, you, there's an ex, there's more of an expectation that people are going to boo and jeer and throw shit. Like there's an expectation of that in sports and concerts, I think is the best place too. Is like, I paid a ticket. You are going to entertain me. I can do rowdy shit at a concert. Like I think concerts and sports kind of exist in this sphere. Like if you go to a movie theater or you go to a regular theater or you go to like um, some sort of performance in a, a stage or whatever it might be, like there's less of an expectation of you to be rowdy. And that's just the culture that has, has grown to exist around that. And as we talk about all the time, culture changes real fast. And this one's worked slowly over 20 years, but now the pandemic has sped up a lot of this stuff where concert venues and sports need to make up the money. And so they're going to sell to higher priced clients. How do you make money back? You raise the prices. Who can afford those prices? People with more money. Who has more money? People in the top 20% and 1% and 0.01% than ever before in America. And once people sell those tickets at higher prices, well, there's no reason to ever go back unless the market totally changes and there's just no demand for your tickets. There's no reason to go back 
especially when you're lowering the prices of tickets just to make them affordable in the first place. And I guess we're not talking about every sporting event. I think we're talking about like specifically football, big basketball games, big baseball games, big baseball cities, big hockey cities, big soccer cities, again, concerts, music festivals, things like that. You're going to see the prices go up and there's not going to be a change unless the demand dramatically shifts over the next few years, which there's no reason to suggest the demands are going down. Uh, I guess there is because basketball TV ratings have dropped and baseball TV ratings have dropped. But for music festivals and concerts and football, demand keeps going up for those. And so the culture is going to shift of like now everyone at these games has money. It used to be that money, I mean, not used to be, I'm not bemoaning what things used to be. Like I'm 20 years old or 21 years old. Like in the past, what the culture dictated was more so attending events was less of a financial point than anything else. Again, they're selling Bud Light. They're selling things that are lower cost and the common person can afford because sports and concerts and that were sold to the common fan. And now that the demand is so high for these products, they're going to people who have more money. And so the sports, the concerts, the live entertainment, it's going to be only for the relatively wealthy and your privilege disappear, your privilege of being able to spit on people and throw shit at people disappears because the culture is going to change. And there's a 25,000 person line of people who want to go watch this thing, whether it's sing songs or play sports or rap, like people want to go watch these things. People want to pay a lot of money to attend these things. Maybe the culture will shift in 10 years where people will stop wanting to attend these events live. I know baseball attendance has gone down in years and years. Perhaps all sports are headed in a direction where attendance is going down and down. I don't think that's going to be the case. Probably the more likely scenario is demand will go up for some sports, not all sports, but like sports as a whole, demand is going to go down and perhaps that changes the value, but it's still so like because the population continues to increase, the demand is still so high for these products. And so that's where the math is going to change a little bit on your ability to be rowdy in the arena. It's not the only thing that's going to change about the culture. It's just the thing that's going to be one of the most prominent changes around the corporate culture of sports and around the fan behavior aspect of sports. And so that's my thought on uh, an unprompted, unscripted idea that popped out from the Kid Cudi getting a bottle thrown at him and walking off the stage because how the culture is also going to change is the performers who are worth a hundred million dollars are like bleep this i ain't paying to get spit on i ain't paying to get shit thrown at me like I, it's, no it's not gonna it's not gonna be down like that but when the fan felt like they had a little bit more of entitlement then the player kind of has to be at the beckoning call. But now the demand is so high and it's so mainstream that it's there's going to be fans. There's going to be payment. Also, the people in the stands don't pay the paychecks of athletes anymore. TV dollars pay the athletes of pay or pay the paychecks of athletes. So again, change in demand, athlete more empowered because it's mainstream. <laughs> NBA dollar values are never going down. Therefore, what's the incentive to change or what's the incentive to let you get away with that? Like, 
I can do this because the dollar value is never going to go down. Television contracts keep going up. It's only going to go up even more once it hits the streaming age and you have Apple and Amazon and Google getting involved in bidding wars for these products and live streaming rights. The dollar values are only going to go up. Therefore, I suspect that the corporate culture will continue to shift as the money gets poured into it. It becomes more about people who have money wanting to be around products that have money and that the corporations, the the sports leagues, whoever's putting on these concerts, whoever's putting on the, the music festivals, well, they're going to be like, well, we'll take your money. We'll take more money from the people who have money than the people who don't have money, which makes sense. It's just not the way that culture has always existed around sports and live events. It is these things are more accessible to everyone not entirely accessible to everyone, just more accessible to everyone. And that is changing for the top of the, I mean, not that it's always been the case for the top of the top live sporting events, but even the regular season basketball games in some places like Golden State, even the first round playoff games in MLB or the first round playoff games in football or the Rolling Loud Music Festival in Miami, even those are starting to have the corporate the corporate value change. It's not just Super Bowl level behavior at these events. It's now Super Bowl level behavior at all of these major events. And uh, that's how the culture is going to shift because it'll start trickling on down as time goes along and resources start being spent on attracting people also with money than about attracting the common folk to sporting events. So ladies and gentlemen, thanks for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Leave a five-star review and check out the Fall of the Spurs Dynasty documentary series that we are wrapping up with Wednesday's episode, not just on that feed, but here on the Take It Easy podcast. With that being said, take it easy, everybody. We will talk to you again tomorrow.